Welcome back to the Dewhawk Dozen podcast, where each month the Young Alumni Advisory Board nominates one stellar graduate of the last decade to interview and to share their story. Regardless of where they're from or where they are now, their time at Loris connects them all. Let's Let's do do this. and welcome to the February edition of Duhawk Dozen. We would like to welcome Adrian Shavers to the podcast. Adrian is a 2014 Loris graduate. While at Loris, she majored in social work and sociology. Since leaving Loris, she has gone on to receive her master's in higher education leadership from Oakland University. Adrian supported students as a resident advisor at Loris College and continues to support them today, working for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln as a program coordinator. Adrian was selected for the Duhok Dozen by demonstrating the qualities of a responsible contributor. Her nominator mentioned how Adrian helped college students with their journey in higher education and how she truly is a beacon of positivity and light. Welcome to the podcast, Adrian. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, one of the, the things I want want to talk about, and maybe this takes it back, um, you know, a few years, uh, going back to your time as a resident advisor. Um, but I know that you uh, impacted countless students by showing humility and humanity in a difficult time and obviously a time of adjustment. How did you start uh, as a student working in residence life, um, bringing you to where you are now? So that that time being a, a resident advisor, bringing you into your current role. Yeah, honestly, I think in order to answer this fully, I have to start with the, the pre-me being an RA. Um, I was actually like thinking about transferring. Like I didn't think Loris was going to be the fit for me. Um, and I had a conversation with my mom and she was like, you have to like actually try. And if you really try, you can transfer at the end of the year. And so I was like, okay. So I started getting involved in my floor. I lived in Rollman at the time on first floor. Um, and so I got involved in my floor, started doing programs. My RA started asking me for advice and we started having conversations and I was like, oh, I could do this job. Like, I really like this. So after my freshman year or during my freshman year, I applied, got to be an RA, um, my sophomore and half of my junior year. And then my senior year, I was an SRA. Um, and I really think like, working with students at such pivotal points of their lives, like I always wanted to work with first years because you see the transition, you see the change. They come in, they're a little nervous, right? Bright eyed. They're like, how am I going to survive? There's all these things that I have to navigate. I have to learn. Um, And being a member or a part, a small part of, of their journey, like was transformative for me. Um, I think I went into the job thinking I was going to help students, but what I didn't realize is they were going to help me more than I would ever be able to help them. Um, And as I I grew into thinking that higher education could be a career for me, I didn't even, I didn't know what an RA was when I got to college. Like, so the thought process that I'd be working in higher ed later on in life and have a degree in higher ed, I was like, this is not even something I even thought of. Um, But it really pushed me to have experiences to develop, to grow, to challenge, um, not only myself, but the systems we are a part of, right? Higher ed is also a system. And so um, 
having that experience at multiple different levels in higher education has really been really influential for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that you talked about um, your love of, of supporting first years, but um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, your nominator was Alyssa Burks. And one of the things that she said actually in that nomination as well was she helped first year students in their transition. And I guarantee she's still in contact with many of them because of her heart and love for each and every one of them. And so I think even in your answer, without knowing that she said that, you were just like, I loved working with first years. I loved helping them in that, in that transformative experience. And I'm like, clearly you did it very, very well because it's right there. People recognized it, they saw it, um, and they commend you for it. Um, so, so knowing that you were, you know, thinking about, about, you know, transferring in that early time, um, and obviously putting yourself out there and giving it, giving it the real college try, um, to, to use a cliche, were there any specific people in your life, teachers, um, faculty, uh, fellow students that really helped kind of bridge that gap and, and make that, that comfort for you? Absolutely. Um, I should preface this. So I, I I'm a first gen, so I had no clue what I was doing prior. Like, I didn't know anything. And so for me, it was a lot of adjustments. Um, and there were a lot of people who helped me along in my journey. Uh, first and foremost, Dr. Guru is hands down the greatest human the world has ever been gifted with. Like, literally was one of the most influential people that got me to persist through my education um, and really encouraged me to, to start advocating for myself. Um, I ran into a few issues. And so she was one of the first people who would explain things without making me feel like I should know these things. She really worked to meet you where you were, but understood that a lot of students weren't or maybe they don't have the knowledge that other students might possess because their parents might hear or whatever, whatever. And so, I mean, I got a C on my first paper I ever turned in for her, cried because I was an AB student in high school. Like, what do you mean I'm gonna get a C? So <laughs> I went into her and I was like, um, like, what do I need to do? Like, teach me to be better. And she worked with me from, and from that point on, that was really the start of, of the relationship that got to be developed. Um, she became my mentor. She was my recommender for uh, when I went to grad school. Um, and so I would say first and foremost, Dr. Group, but also um, Anthony Davis was my hall director when I was enrolling and was my supervisor um, for a year. Uh, and I would say the, I don't, I, it probably has switched names by this point, but the intercultural programs office was um, really like a safe haven for me. Um, being at a school where sometimes in my classes, I was the only person of color. It gave me a space where I could be authentically me without feeling like I had to navigate all of the politics of, of being a person of color at a predominantly white institution. So um, I would say those, those people and those places, but I also have a lot of really good friends that I got from there. And I will shout out every single first year class I had because I was always blessed with the most amazing residents. Um, and even my RA, my peer RA group, like Alyssa is one of, was one of my really, really good friends. Um, and you just, being an RA is a very unique position. 
um, that requires a lot of time and effort and having people that could connect with you on that level and how to best help people was really nice. I love that. I, and I love, love that you kind of brought up that you were a first-gen college student. I think when we navigate kind of those waters, it's it's easy sometimes to forget, you know, that everyone comes from a different experience and a different background. And, um, you know, you're explaining this and you're talking about, you know, not knowing what you were getting into and not knowing the experiences. And, and I had such a different experience because, you know, my dad and several of his siblings went to Loris College specifically. And so I walked in and I'm like, I've been here. I've toured this <laughs> campus. I know what it looks like. I know the the, the ins and outs, you know, granted, we don't have to like clock in for, for prayer time every day, like my dad did when he was here, but you know, the, the feelings and the experiences were similar, but so many students are coming in without that experience and maybe being the first ones in their families to be going off to college. And, um, I, I find that interesting because I know that, uh, you received your diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in the workplace certificate. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how that um, you use those skills and you bring those skills into your role working in higher education today and what that's like. Absolutely. I think um, I bring it pretty much in everything. So diversity, equity, and inclusion are the things that I think are most important. And when I look at higher ed, I think of, of the system, right? Because I, I the master's degree taught me all the history that I needed, right? How was higher ed built? Who was it built for? Um, and how are, have these policies and procedures been perpetuated throughout the system, right? Um, and so when I got that certificate, I really wanted to focus, create a focal point for understanding the way to work within the system, right? We know systemic, systemic change isn't easy. One of the things that I set out to do when I started working in higher ed was to cultivate systemic change. Obviously, I know that me, myself, I cannot <laughs> completely change a system, but what are the things that I am in control of and the things that I, the touch points that I have that can push that change forward? And so for me, working with students is that change. And so, um, I think it starts with meeting people with where they are, right? It starts with understanding that I will never understand someone's other, someone else's lived experience, right? But I can empathize, right? And I can help work to remove barriers for them to make the process easier. College is not easy for anyone and no one gets out of it by themselves. And so I think about my position as really being someone that can make people feel seen and feel heard and feel valued. Um, and in my time as an RA, that was always what I strived for. And as a professional now, that's what I strive for. And so it's maybe not necessarily all of the skills and techniques that you learn or tools, I guess would be the best way to put that. Um, but how can I break that down to tangible things in the interactions that I'm having with students? And so every student that I, I work with, we talk about impact versus intent. So it's funny, uh, we just did training this past weekend with our mentor group. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions, I don't remember exactly what it was, but they were talking about our, our training from the beginning of the semester. And he's one of my mentors that I've been working with for two years is like, well, if you work with Adrian, she'll talk to you about impact versus intent and how important it is that you validate other people. <laughs> and so like, it's, it's something that's kind of taking a life of its own like because now that they're teaching their their peers that too so in one way I see that as 
as cultivating that, that systemic change, but also utilizing my voice and advocating with my students. Um, I can't be the one to advocate for them, right? Because that's not my voice, that's not my place. But what I can do is elevate their voices and work to try to make some of those changes or make things a little bit easier or better for them. I find that a really interesting approach too, because, you know, if you did speak for them, if you did work for them, you know, what would they learn? And when you were separated from them, you know, where would they be then, right? They'd be on their own and it'd be like, I didn't have to use this skill before. And now I'm here and I don't have that preparation. So how much better to give them the tools rather than just be the tool for them. I think that's really impactful. And I'm sure that makes a really large um, change and, and, and support in the students that you do work with. Um, in terms of, of higher education, you know, you went to obviously quite a small school being, or started, I should say, at quite a small school being Loris College, and then went on to Oakland University for your master's, and then Purdue, and now the University of Nebraska. What is it like, and, and um, how has it been a change, you know, working from that small scale institution into some of these larger institutions? So uh, after I left Loris, I worked as a domestic violence advocate for a year, realized higher ed is exactly where I wanted to be, needed to make that change. And so I spent some time at the University of Dubuque um, and I worked there. It was my first real professional housing job. Um, and so that gave me a small scale perspective as a professional because at Loris I was a student obviously. And now I was in a higher role, able to do a little bit more and create a little bit more change. Um, Oakland gave me a mid-sized viewpoint because when I started out, I didn't know that higher ed was going to be my end goal um, or that I was going to make this a career. Like I was like, I just like this for right now and we're going to try it out and see how we go. Um, and so I really pushed myself to cultivate different experiences at different institutions so I could figure out where my fit was going to be. So at that point, Oakland, mid-sized, Purdue, UNL, obviously Big Ten research institutions that are huge, right? Um, and so I, I would say there's quite a few differences between being in a small school and being at a large school. Um, for the most part, I think it's like the ability to have certain interactions at large schools is a little bit harder. Not that it's impossible, but it's harder. I think um, when I went to Loris, my professors knew me, right? Like I had the same three social work professors and <laughs> like sociology was the same way. And so like, it was really easy for me to develop relationships with my professors because they knew who I was. They knew that I was double majoring. Like they could tell you things about me and about my lived experience. Whereas when you're in class of 200 or 250, your assignments are gonna look different. Your interactions with your professors are gonna look different. Um, and so I would say that that is gotta be one of the biggest differences. I would say in terms of like how I operate as a professional would be the same. If not, I try to be more approachable. Um, and this could just be because smaller schools were at the beginning of my professional career and now I'm, I'm on the opposite end, <laughs> um, but I really try to make sure, again, that my students are being heard, that they feel valued. If interactions is something that's not as easy attainable at a large institution, I wanna make that interaction easier. And so I will go out of my way to meet my students where they are. And not that I wouldn't have done that as a smaller school, but 
it's easier. Like I literally will walk down the hallway and see four of my students. Um, at a larger scale, it's a little bit harder to build in some of that. So I would say that would be probably the biggest difference other than attendance policies, because I, I listen to some of these students talk about their professors do not have attendance policies. And that was not a thing at Loris. They would find you. <laughs> like I missed the class. I remember having an email in my inbox from my professor being like, where were you? I had overslept, but I feel that <laughs> I told teachers like ahead of time, I was like, I'm not going to be here today. I'm really sorry. Like uh, you won't see me at Tuesday's class, but I, I promise I'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> that is, it's a real thing. And here it's, it's totally different. And I think that impacts how students get help too. Like I wasn't afraid to go to Dr. Group because I see her every day in class and she knows my name and she calls on me even when I don't read the assignments. And so it was easier for me to ask for help because it, we had that already had a little bit of a connection. Whereas I think for, for students here, it's a little bit, or at larger institutions, it's a little bit more difficult because there's a lot of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and on that, you know, obviously it, it's very, very evident in the way that you speak um, that you care deeply for your students and, and for their success uh, and their abilities to progress and grow and, and for those changes that you talk about to be made in that, in that system. Um, how do you find the motivation, you know, with all that you're putting in, in a job that can be very demanding in terms of your time, how do you find the motivation to push through? And also, how do you find the ability sometimes to separate that, you know, work-life balance and take a step back for you? Because obviously taking care of yourself is also so important. That is the question right there. Um, I think uh, having people who support me trying to build my boundaries um, has been really beneficial. I have coworkers who are like, no, Adrian, go home. Like, we're done, go home. And so having pe other people tell me that those are things I should be doing. Um, but also, I think that just comes with time and figuring it out. Like, a lot of the jobs that I've had have been <laughs> not typical nine to five jobs. And so... It's really about prioritizing yourself, remembering that you, at some point, you have to refill your own cup. Like you can do other things and other people for me fill my cup, but it's really important to make sure that I don't get lost in filling other people's cups without filling my own. And so I think that's just a balance that comes with time and age and experience. It took me a really long time. I still think I'm working on it. Um, but I would say for, for that piece, that would be how I would answer self-care and like that balance. Going to the motivation aspect, um, again, I think it really stems from me wanting to make higher education better for people who higher education wasn't built for. I know the experience that I had and how at some points how hard I had to struggle and fight to feel like I belong, to feel like I deserved to be there at some points of my life. Um, and whether that's because I was a person of color, because a first-gen student, all of those, right, all of my identities, um, I think we owe it to the people who come behind us to make things better. And so 
Not that I think by the end of my life, I will have created systemic change, but I do hope that I would have left a big enough impact that those building blocks are there to keep pushing. Um, and so as far as motivation goes, I think wanting to make something better and then to wanting to be there for my students, because sometimes I know I'm one of the only people they feel comfortable coming to. And so um, I think that that makes it easy to get out of bed, um, knowing that people enjoy talking to me and that I like talking to them. And for the most part, a lot of my job is talking and I like doing both of those things. So it works for me. I think that's a beautiful answer and a beautiful place to, to wrap up our conversation. And, you know, I truly hope that students going into college and students that are in college and even people that are maybe non-traditional students or, or people looking, you know, to go back and get, you know, higher levels of education. You know, I hope that they take some time and actually listen to this. I hope we can get it out to them and spread this enough because I think the points that you made in regards to like, there are people out there who don't think that they belong or don't feel worthy of belonging. And the fact of the matter is, right, we all um, have the same inherent value and the same inherent worth. And we do deserve those things. And, and to know that there's people out there and you being one of them and being kind of a beacon of light and showing that you are one of those people, um, that there are people out there who do want to help and do want to be a support. I think it's so necessary um, for people to hear that and know, like, I'm not going into this alone. There's someone there for me. So I want to thank you so much, Adrian, for joining us on this episode of the Dewhawk Dozen podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Loris College and the Young Alumni Advisory Board. This podcast runs monthly and honorees are chosen by Loris peers. So we invite you all to nominate a young alumni Dewhawk today. Thank you so much.